Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing all right, thanks Musa. How are you? I mean, with your excellent start to the season and your stripy t-shirt. Me personally, yeah. I've had a great start to the season. Yeah, I've done uh, three podcasts. Good, <laughs> uh, promising trajectory. Looking I forward to a strong season of podcasts. <laughs> I haven't had an excellent start. I actually, I heard from uh, Callum Jacobs, shout out to Caracom. Uh, <laughs> Callum <laughs> sent me a voicemail going, I can't wait to hear your discomfort and Manchester United's defeat to Crystal Palace. Oh no. <laughs> there you go, Callum. I'm in pain. You happy now? Oh, bless him. Yeah. All good. Oh, he actually sent me a message as well. What did he say? Potter or Southgate, discuss on the pod at some point. Bye. That was it. <laughs> wow. Hey, listen. Potter doing a strong, strong job at Brighton. Yeah, love, definitely. Love it. Love it. Um, so what are we talking about today? We're going to do a bit of a, a wider topic thing. However, there's so much football to cover from the weekend. We're going to put it up as a bonus episode. So we're going to do a bit of a chat, 20, 25 minutes or so, about Macclesfield Town and the plight of some of England's lower league clubs. Right. Because it's a... <laughs> I don't want to use the, ter- like, the term, but it is a bit of a pandemic. Yeah, it is. About the, the struggles of England's lower league clubs. And it can, it can be applied to lower league clubs around the world really but it's a it's a thing that seems to be specific in England at the moment obviously with Berry going under last year Macclesfield Town have just had a winding up order there are numerous other clubs in the lower divisions who are on the brink and Covid hasn't helped and has actually accelerated a lot of that so we're going to put that up as a separate episode maybe Tuesday because we wanted to dedicate a little bit of time to it so today we are going to talk about the Premier League Obviously. Yep, yep. And we'll do the Bundesliga because the Bundesliga was back with fans, 10,000 at Dortmund. No fans in Munich because of a spike in COVID cases, but that didn't stop Bayern, obviously. Hamid Schalke. We'll talk about Dortmund Gladbach. We'll talk about Bremen against Hertha and quickly touch on the other games. And then in the final part of the show, I want to talk about Juve Samp, Pierlo's first game in charge with a very interesting looking midfield. Yeah, very interesting. We'll talk about Real Sociedad versus Real Madrid and we'll talk a little bit about the latest in the Barcelona situation. Good Lord. And maybe a few other bits. Any admin before we get going? I think that's it. Oh, actually, one thing I will say, how about let's just be interactive listeners and why don't you begin your hydration process at the beginning of the podcast so you can listen. (laughs) (laughs) So you can listen while drinking. I think that's important. Steady hydration through the podcast. All right, let's get into it after this. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Right, man. Big game of the weekend in the Premier League. Chelsea-Liverpool. Right, right. Liverpool winning the game 2-0. What were your takeaways from the game, Musa Akwonga? Sadio and Thiago. I mean, we have to mention them in that order. I mean, I know Thiago's amazing because Thiago is amazing, but I think Sadio just needs to get his props in there because he scored twice and he was ruthless and lethal. And 
What's interesting about Sadio Mane, before we go into Thiago, because we ought to talk about Thiago, Sadio Mane's ability to escape multiple defenders on the touchline is mind-blowing. There are so many occasions where he receives the ball and there are three players around him. He extracts mm. himself, lays it off square. And the thing I love about him is when he escapes from a difficult position, he doesn't have an adrenaline rush and go wild. He just lays it off, which is actually a very messy thing. You know, Messi was famous for that. Messi would basically extract himself, advance up the field, and then lay off. Would never get too flash. So Sadio, mm. shout out to him, two fine goals. But if we're getting into it, Thiago Alcantara. This man is supernatural. I, I'm, you know, I'm a United fan. I have no skin in the game. So my love for Thiago comes from a place of, it's just pure footballing appreciation. His ability to advance play 10 yards, 15 years up the field and maintain intensity. His ability to find gaps, to spread play. And it looks so simple. It looks so simple. And then you step back and think, hang on a minute, who else could do it? Who else could basically be a third centre-back, receive position anywhere, turn to space, lay it off, switch, cut, cut, switch. It's just, it's hypnotic. There's most passes in a second half, in a single half, by any player in the Premier League in what, the last 15 years or something, something wild like that. More than Skulls, more than Pogba, like unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit of a party pooper here because you know I'm a big Thiago fan, but I yeah. think this was such a perfect game to bring him on in though, because the red card did kind of change the game. Yeah, It really put Chelsea on the back foot and therefore man down, bringing Thiago on in the middle of midfield. It was kind of like... It's low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it's low-hanging yeah, fruit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was, a, that was a really, really great game for him to start in. I mean, he did give away the penalty as well. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't faultless. There were a couple of misplaced passes as well that were wild. But overall, I mean, he had more passes in that second half than any Chelsea player did in the whole game. I think that was just going to happen because Chelsea were going to sit in and try and hit them on the counter. And it was just perfectly set up. Like Liverpool were able to advance the ball or dominate the ball in the Chelsea half. He will face a lot of sterner tests this season. Yeah. I don't think he will struggle, to be honest. I think he may occasionally struggle with some intensity levels in, in the game, but the Bundesliga is such a comparable league to the Premier League in terms yep, of yep. intensity anyway. I don't think it will I don't think it would affect him as much as if he had arrived from Spain, for example. Yeah. We've said this before, but like Tiago is legit. Yeah, yeah. I think Frank Lampard did not manage this game well. No. I don't think he coached it well. And I specifically I don't think he fully understands what or who Kai Havertz is yet. I don't think he gets it. Because Mason Mount, right? Mason Mount's thing, Mason Mount is a shoot first wide forward, right? He's not a link guy. He's not that guy, right? So you have Timo Werner, when he makes that sub, he takes off Havertz. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have made that sub at all. Right, right, right. Now that to me was like glaringly, that was a glaring sign that he doesn't think that Harvard's links the play as well as Mount does. And that's just not, there's no universe in which that's a reality. So that to me was strange because then you've got like effectively kind of a 4-3-2. You don't have a link. And when you're playing out, when I saw that happen, I just thought, oh, Chelsea are done here. Like it was tough anyway to come back. But I saw that and I thought, Chelsea are done. And I think that Harvard's is a bit, a bit unlucky because, oh, look, it's social media. People always say stuff and it's just early days for him. And it was the same with Pulisic. But I just feel like, 
you know, Harvard's obviously just started, but those couple of outings haven't helped him. Like his deployment has not helped him so far. Yeah, I mean, he's just not a wide player. I don't no, think. he's not. And I, I, I mean, personally, I would have, I mean, who the hell am I to tell a Premier League coach what to do? But in that scenario with the red card, it was clear that Chelsea were going to have to sit in a little bit and contain the game. Mm. And I would have just gone a little bit more narrow and just play Harvard's behind Werner. Right, likewise, yeah. And just sacrifice maybe a bit of width. Because do you remember when Arsenal went to Anfield last season and really early on in the season and Emery kind of just conceded width as a game plan? Right. Just like they're going to get the ball there anyway, so we may as well not chase them out there. And he just kind of let them have it. And for a while, it kind of worked. It ultimately didn't work. But I think this Chelsea squad was better equipped to maintain an onslaught than that Arsenal squad was. But I would have kind of done something like that, really. You know, especially because they would have... I mean, if they brought on Thiago, then that means that he's going to dominate the ball so much that maybe things don't go wide as often. Because the key area of Liverpool's creativity over the last couple of years, especially last season, was Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. DJ Andy Robertson. <laughs> you know, you know what I thought it was when I was watching the game. It's kind of like, you know, when you put, um, you know, you get, it's just such a, like a weird analogy, but you know, when you have like a plate with some oil on it and then you right, put right. some, you know, put a bit of like balsamic vinegar in it yeah, and the it olive just oil. Yeah. sits in the middle. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of thing. <laughs> That's kind of why it was like Tiago, bringing Tiago and it was just like, boom, there's this like force field in the middle of the pitch and yeah. it's just like, and it was just absorbing the ball towards it at all times. Yeah, so right. basically, you're, you're just taking the creativity or the ball out of the hands of the most creative players. Looking in like a basketball sense, it's just like you're bringing on like a really ball-dominant point guard. Yeah, right. Exactly. When maybe your creativity might come from the wings. Right. So I thought that Chelsea could have then, in that scenario, once that sub was being made, because it was clear that that sub was going to be made, right, right. could have sacrificed the whip a little sure. bit and not really bothered with it so much. I agree. And... I think the only reason that I could understand keeping Mount on was to break and carry. That was kind of it, really. Just I to got, basically yeah. get, get yeah. from A to B as quick as possible with the ball. But yeah, I thought that was quite a strange choice. And the weird thing after the game, I was watching the game on Sky Sports, and there was this weird like debate kicked off about Harvard's where like no one really questioned his ability at all. But then Jamie Redknapp went on some like wild rant about people questioning his ability and that he just needs time. And then Jamie Carragher was just like, I didn't say anything about his ability. <laughs> like It was like, <laughs> everyone's losing their shit over Kai Harvats already, man. And it's like two games in to the season. Do you know maybe what it is? Maybe it's like post-traumatic stress from like Redknapp, who's like, he's worried that he didn't defend Pogba enough early on. He let the rot set in. So now he's like, defend- <laughs> he's just like, he's like Gandalf. He's just defending players who come and settle. Maybe mm-hmm. that's it. I don't know. I mean, uh, I thought this yeah. was a bit of a reality check for Chelsea, who are, I mean, obviously they went down to 10 men. Did you think it was a red card, by the way? Yes. Yeah. He, he, he basically ascended him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was one of those that like, I could have, if it wasn't given, I wouldn't have gone absolutely wild. Do you know what I was thinking? But you know, Game of Thrones? You know, deserved. obviously Game, you know, the, you know, the crow, the crow's cloak. At one point, Christian looked like, he looked like the crow's cloak on Sadio's shoulder. He was like on him. He was actually like hands over either shoulder. Like a, it was a piggyback. Winter is coming. It was, it was winter. Sadio Mane had not gone, I don't think, through the middle. He'd been on the wing a lot. Mm. The first time he'd gone right down the kind of, right down the gullet. And it was just mm. a run they weren't used to. They hadn't seen yeah. it. Because the midfield had been, you know, Kovacic, Jorginho, Kante. You're sending a message to that midfield. It's kind of safety first. Mm. And then all of a sudden, 
like you're not maybe you're not expecting to run that direct because you've got those three shielding you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a I was not anticipating this. Uh, Paul Christensen, that site is well. Not- Paul Christensen and Paul Kepper. Oh no, Fabrizio Romano did a uh, here we go just as that second goal went in about uh, Chelsea signing Monday, which is quite ironic because Kepper's mistakes have have like transferred to league uh, written all over them in the sense of like just go somewhere to a new country and just start again. Mm. And what really saddens me for him, like I know he's had his issues and he's, but I just, what saddens me for him is, and this is something that Dan and Christine and Grace on football were talking about on Twitter, like you can't redeem yourself easily as a goalkeeper. And like, you know, no, when you start, hard. yeah, when you start spiraling, when you must, when your confidence is going, very hard to get back. And now he is, Look, there's a, there's a good clubs out there for him, but I think he maybe needs a reboot one or two years. I hope he has a really good, wherever he goes next, two years somewhere, and then gets back to another really good level. Yeah, I mean, they've got Willy Caballero, who is a good number two. Yeah. That's an expensive mistake, though, from Chelsea. Unbelievable business from Athletic. Can I be harsh? That, that, the mistake he made in the game was a convenient one. This is super cynical. It allows other failings in Chelsea's performance to yeah, go, it's go under the radar. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were, come on, the tactical. Even the, the composition of the midfield was not ideal. Again, mm. it, sent, it sent a message to Liverpool, this is what we're going to do, we're going to absorb this. And maybe Chelsea felt they were too open in previous games last year, so they closed shop this time. But Leeds have shown there is joy. And actually, to be honest, to be honest, and to be fair to Chelsea as well, Timo Werner moving very nicely, finding very good pockets of space in an inside left position, inside right position, moving really, really nicely. Uh, shout out to Fabinho, who had a great performance. Yeah, he was really back. good. Yeah, he was really good. I've got to say this to him. I think it's a question of more credit to Fabinho rather than not to Werner because Fabinho read Werner's body language really, really well a couple of times. But I think Fabinho is going to do really well at centre-back. Like him and Van Dijk are a really intriguing centre-back partnership, I think. Do you not like most of it? Yes, I carry on. And sorry, I was just going to say, I think it takes a little bit of pressure off of Joe Gomez, who I think has experienced a little bit of that rookie wall. Yeah. Which is completely understandable because I actually think Joe Gomez has probably overachieved in the last couple of years. Oh, absolutely. It's incredible. And I think that, you know, a little bit of pressure off where he doesn't have to maintain a place. The thing about the the ability to switch into the centre-back role is that I think that second half against Chelsea, it's a little bit of a preview or a trailer, if you like, to how a lot of games are going to play out this year for Liverpool. Yeah. Because teams were so worried about them hitting you on the counter that now you know that you have someone who can basically just dominate the ball in the middle of midfield and play more passes in one half than the opposition did in the whole game or any individual from the opposition did in the whole game. It's like we said before, and you touched on it in that piece a while ago, and it's, it's something I'm going to write about as well, is that it's another string to the bow. It's like, you know, like we said, Thiago's the bat. It's another weapon for Liverpool. And it's basically, it just causes people another headache. Can I also add to this and what Fabinho's role in this is specifically, I think it's interesting. This is a guy who is fully comfortable at right back, at defence midfield and at centre back. So this, this is the beauty of him combining with Thiago specifically, is that he knows what kinds of passes a defence midfield likes to receive. Mm. That's, that feels hugely important. Like just the understanding of space. Like it's that thing of knowing we don't, we don't have this very often. We haven't seen very often a, we don't see that often in football, actually. Someone that can be consorting those three roles. It's really interesting what Fabinho is going to bring to that combination with Thiago. Yeah, it's definitely. Super exciting. Yeah. 
for, Liv- for Liverpool anyway. <laughs> Not exciting for me. But, uh, yeah. uh, just quickly on Chelsea before we move on from this, I would say that, I mean, Chelsea have got a lot of pieces missing still. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people finding their feet. It's going to be a problem for Lampard, but it's a nice problem to have trying to figure out all of those amazing players. And Ziyech injured, Pulisic injured, Thiago Silva still to come in, figuring out the Harvards thing. The main concern is making Harvards feel as comfortable as possible and getting him playing as quick as possible. Because I think Harvards will be fine because he's Kai Harvards and he's a generational talent. To quote, <laughs> to quote some shy poet in a big city. I wouldn't be too worried if there was a Chelsea fan. Can yeah. I just... Is, Long season. Is, is it just me or is like, is Kai Harvards like almost like a kind of a bigger Russian doll of Mason Mount? Because at one point, I was looking across the field and I was like, Harvard's is so big. And Mason Mount was far away. And I thought they could be cousins. Like in terms of like the hairstyle. Oh, I thought you were going to go all Father Ted then. No, no, This not. guy Harvard's is very big, but yeah. that Mason Mount is far away. They look like cousins. They look like at one point when they were both on the break. Like, and it was a really nice, weirdly enough, you, you saw a glimpse of how it could look for Chelsea and how it could work. Mm. Where you imagine there's going to be a game where they just get in sync and just blow some away. They're really rapid, those lot. Those lot, you know, they can motor. You know, Harvitz is not, he's deceptively quick, like his gait. Yeah. He's quicker than he looks because he doesn't seem to be, it's, it's like an Ozil thing, right? When Ozil's feet don't move that fast, but he's a hydrofoil, right? He's a hydrofoil. I was going to say he's a, he's a hovercraft. Yeah, yeah. I like hydrofoil though. You don't hear that very it's often. It's a nice word. Yeah, it's, it's a nice word. It's a good word, hydrofoil. It's I remember, really... but complete side point. I remember going on one to a Greek island once when I was a kid on holiday and it made me feel more sick than any other mode of transport oh that I've God. ever been on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely grim. Half us the hydrofoil. Oh, nice. Um, should we move on to Southampton 2, Spurs 5? Oh my goodness. What a strange game of football. Two halves, completely different. Both sides, completely different in both halves. And Mourinho, a team of two halves, because classic Mourinho, oh, I will just let the attack get on with it and I'll bolt on a competent midfield and defend. That's the most, it's the most Mourinho thing ever. Like, Can I just read my, the three tweets that I wrote during this game? Yeah, sure. Oh my God, I loved, I loved it. It's so cryptic, yeah. It was basically, it's not cryptic at all. It was basically just summed it all up. Like at halftime, one of these sides looks like they're very well coached into the second half. I think this was when Spurs had gone ahead. Yep. One of these sides has enough individual brilliance to overcome others who may look better coached. And yep. then a third and final tweet, one of these sides looked extremely well coached in the first half and have looked quite the opposite since going behind. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it for me because Southampton were so good in the first half. Yeah. So, so good. And Spurs were, frankly, dreadful, I thought. And they got their goal just before half time, which was co- a complete game changer. and. The bail signing for me, I think, just fits so well because Spurs are not very system focused. No. They relied on Kane and Son to get them out of trouble on the weekend. Son's finishing was unbelievable. Kane all of a sudden thinking he's like a young Glenn Hoddle. And I think adding Gareth Bale into that attack just means that people are going to be so preoccupied with that front three it doesn't really matter what the hell is going on well, behind them. This is, this, this is, so this is funny because Kane has shown, Kane's been this playmaker before. He's done it for England. Actually, he most, as well. most notably as well, there's a game when Spurs beat Dortmund, I think, where he did a similar thing. His link-up was beautiful. I think he scored the final goal. It was 3-1 or something, but he looked amazing as a link-up player. Mm. And actually one of my favourite, you know, 
hurricanes is the hurricane that like just drops off. It's like mm. first touch. My favorite hurricanes are like in this order, one touch hurricanes, the one touch finish. I love that. Like no power, just bottom corners. And my second favorite is link up hurricane. We won't refer to the number that he was playing as because we don't like the number eight in this podcast, but there were- What are you talking Chris- about? It wasn't a number eight. Oh, he was a second striker. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to come with some tactical talk, get it right. It's only because, you know, only because uh, Chris Ryan says, maybe he thinks he's an eight. Um, oh, so- mate, we're going we're to we're <laughs> talk about eight. When we get to the Bundesliga, we're going to talk about eight. Yeah. So second striker, being, I was just being silly, but second striker um, came there and four, it's four assists and a goal. I know. Was it, first, was it the first time anyone has assisted four, four goals for the same player in a Premier League game? I've never, seen, I've never seen that. Apparently, before. first Englishman to assist four goals in the Premier League. Do, do people still play Fantasy Premier League? Because I didn't see that many tweets going, oh my God, he's my FPL captain. I didn't see that. Which is, maybe it's a sign of maturity. <laughs> 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 well, can I say this as well about Mourinho while we're on Spurs, because it always comes back to Mourinho. Oh, he's suddenly decided that he really likes Ndombele. Oh, and look, magically Ndombele's playing well. Here's the thing. Why don't you just be nice to your really good players or just nice to your players in general at the very beginning so you save yourself a year of stress? Given the stories about Deli Ali possibly going elsewhere, that documentary has now taken a far more sinister turn. It's all fine as long as the club actually like him, fundamentally, right? But you see that and you think, oh my gosh, when you look at it again through different eyes, you're like, Marina really wants us to dislike this guy. I came away from that documentary with more love for Deli Ali than I think I've ever had. I mean, I, I would, I would say that my, 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 my view towards him remained unchanged. I've, I've said many times that a great player, I think he has a great talent. I think he is, but it's really sinister. This is not on anyone, but Marina, this is on Marina. I'm putting this Ryan, honestly, it's really sinister looking at like the transfer rooms like Deli Ali and like the desperation to leave the exclusion from squads, the way Marino's talked about him. We have too many players to pick. And I'm like, that is, is a wild statement. When, so when, when, when you look at that as a, cause Marino doesn't do anything by accident when he's falling out with someone. As a consistent narrative, and Elliot Ross said this in 2000, you know, he said, Elliot, shout out to Elliot Ross on Twitter. Elliot was like, oh, who's he going to go for? And I was like, it's going to be Deli Ali. I just had a feeling it would be him. And he's been gunning for him. And while Deli Ali might have thought, oh, he's laughing along with me, like he was going for him. Mm. And this, I think, is, I think he has sabotaged his reputation internally, externally to grease the wheels because Marino is nothing but a populist when it comes to fan versus player, manager versus player. And this is, this is really grim, but this is perfect for him. Mm. Now he's got his little siege. Now he's got a little cold war. He's got Bale coming in. He's got Son. He's got Kane. Don Blaze in his good books again. And Ali will be frozen out as the example. That's what can happen to any of you. And it's horrible because it's Marino by numbers. But the scary thing is that front three is talented enough for his little experiment to work. The thing I don't understand about the, the Deli Alley thing though, is that, yeah, sure, leave him out of the squad if he's not fit or he's not playing well or whatever. But what did Spurs suffer from more than anything last season? Lack Injuries and depth. lack of squad depth. Yep. Right. Yep. So you sign someone like Bale, you upgrade in an area which, you know, in the fullback positions, which I actually think that, I would, I would question the Matt Doherty signing yep, a little yep, bit more yep, because yep. especially if they weren't and spent that money on Sergio Reguilon because I think Ben Davis is actually really decent and a massively underrated part of that Spurs side but it gives them depth. I think the signings in central mid, 
well, the signing of Hoiberg in, in central midfield could prove to be okay, but it's a little bit underwhelming. Yep, but bear yep. in mind that if, if everyone's fully fit, then you'd assume that he's behind Winks, Sissoko, and Dombele. Yeah. But Spurs really suffered when Harry Kane went out last season. Gareth Bale's taking the number nine shirt, which I found really, really great, actually. <laughs> I just wonder why on earth you've decided to uh, isolate a player who maybe, yeah, maybe if Spurs really, really genuinely want to compete at the top level, he shouldn't be an automatic starter every game. But he's a hell of a good option to come off the bench. Right. And the only thing that I have thought about in this sense is that he's probably their most valuable, flippable asset, apart from Harry Kane, who's not going to go anywhere. Do you know what he feels like? He feels like Daniel Sturridge at Liverpool. Yeah, that's a shout. But without the injuries kind of yeah, thing. Very, yeah, very good player, but actually a strangely ill-fitting piece. Mm. Deli Ali, he's, he's not quite good enough to start regularly, but he's not good enough to be on the bench as often as he would be with Spurs' first choice. And he doesn't swap in that well in the wide areas. You know mm. what I mean? He does they've got Lucas Moura as well, who I think it, will be exactly. probably the one to make way when Gareth Bale comes in. To be honest, if we're being brutal about the business thing, from a business perspective, like flipping Deli Ali, that won't have been, and also this is interesting in relation to the fact that Spurs have looked over that, that documentary before it goes out, Levy would not be adverse. This is the weird thing, looking at it as well, like Levy looking at how Mourinho is behaving, could have stepped in at any time and been like, go easy on Deli Ali, but he's like, actually no, we've identified him as a target to get rid. I mean, it sounds harsh, but- Oh, nothing is accidental. If, yeah, right, none of that's accidental. So Deli Ali would be someone who was earmarked for a sale, you could get a tidy amount for him. And to be honest as well, like if he did go somewhere like PSG, I'd like to see him somewhere like that, actually. It's quite an exciting... Yeah, role. I know. I know. I don't mind that. Because also as well, Icardi is not in Tuchel's favour. We saw that. Yeah, weird fight. though. I mean... Do you know what, <laughs> actually? If, if I was Spurs, I would try and... I'd, I'd go for a deal for Icardi. Wing for that- Valley, innit? That would work very... That's a really good piece for Spurs. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, Icardi's a great piece for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. I mean, off-field issues aside. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, chemist- yeah. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, we're, yeah. calling them chemist- sorry, we're calling them chemistry issues now. The thing is, you know, you know as soon as he arrived, he'd be Mourinho's boy straight away. He's he the would. kind of guy Mourinho would just... You know, it's like sometimes imagine, like you know, in like the Matrix and they've got like the things on the back of their neck where they plug in. Yes, exactly. And like Mourinho just plugs into certain people and they're just like... <sighs> I will do anything you say. I will do anything you say. I love you. I love you. You know what I mean? Like, actually, if you like, the reason Zlatan's got his hair up is because if you let it down, there's actually a hole there where Mourinho's into. <laughs> um, should we take a quick break and come back with more Premier League? Let's do it. Jedi are being murdered. On June 4th, Star Wars returns only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it. Believe me. She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she is a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte. Two episode premiere June 4th, only on Disney+. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, 
you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we're back from the break. Do you want to talk about Manchester United Palace? Let's go into it quickly. Wolf's Revenge. Wilfried Zaha, star man. Crystal Palace beat Manchester United 3-1 at Old Trafford. And there's a couple things to say about this on and off the field. First of all, shout out to Roy Hodgson. Shout yes. out to Andros Townsend and Wolf Zaha. Those three really leading something quite exciting, quite compelling at Palace. I just, you know, I just love to see teams coaching beautifully. Like my, my um, consolation, if and when United get beaten, is always that they've been outthought in really interesting ways. So shout out to them. Um, shout out to Zaha because I just felt like he never got a fair shake at Old Trafford. He came into the team under Moyes. The team was in transition. The team was kind of broken. No one quite knew it was. I remember seeing him come on, I think at Newcastle, they lost 1-0 um, United at Old Trafford. And he was kind of brought on wide left, looked out of sorts, but that was because the tactical shape was all over the place. So you couldn't be blamed for that. Um, and I always felt his career didn't get the kind of catalyst it deserved. So really happy for him. And on a personal level, what Patrice Everett said, Patrice Everett like, made a comment about Zaha doing quite well. And there were rumours about him having an affair with the manager's daughter. And I just thought to myself, I said this before with Patrice Everett, maybe not on this podcast, maybe separately, but... Well, he said that on TV. Yeah, he said it on TV. And, and Sky Sports actually had to apologise to Zaha for airing that rumour. Now, here's the thing about Evra very Man. specifically. Can I say this to you, right? Patrice Evra is someone who is really going to struggle with every year he spends away from football's orbit. Yeah, I mean, you just can't say stuff like that, aren't you? You can't, you can't. But I think there's, you know, I think an Everett is an extreme case of that. He's an extreme case of footballers just having to say anything and be anything and be partisan to be relevant. And he was obviously playing to the kind of Man United fan base and the populist crowd. But it is a slight thing I see of like, he's got that energy of someone who's 10, to, 10 years too old to be in the nightclub. And I say that, that sounds harsh, but like I saw that and thought to myself, dude, you need a WhatsApp group for that stuff. Yeah, or just, be an adult. It's be like, an adult. right, right. Be I, mean, an adult. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be honest, I can't take anything Patrice Ever says too seriously after seeing him uncomfortably fondle that chicken, that chicken. And oh, to gosh. be honest, if he didn't get ill after that, then everything I've been taught about handling poultry was <laughs> <laughs> one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen. I was going to say on the internet, but that's probably not true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, the internet's a big place. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah but back just, to Palace. Yeah, back, to just, Palace. back to yeah, Palace. I mean, yeah, need to give them the, the props. Would you um, want to go? I prop? Yeah, go, you can prop. You can prop. Prop right. Yeah, prop right. <laughs> Proposition right. <laughs> this isn't the first time Palace have done this away from home over the last couple of years against a, on paper, superior opposition. Mm. I think Roy Hodgson doesn't get the appreciation that he deserves on the whole still. And we've said this a number of times before. I think he's doing a really good job at Palace. Yeah. I think he's a really, really, really smart football manager. You had to say that. It's 2020 and you still had to say that. That's yeah, wild. I know. Yeah, I know. It's this is a guy who coached into Milan, you know. And I think a lot of that's tainted by people often see people's careers or judge them based on their England performance. 
I think the England manager's job is such a, there's a very, very small upside, but there's a huge low side with the England yeah. job, you know? And yeah, it's yeah. like, you have to be, you have to be super careful when managing England. But I think, just, I just think Roy Hodgson has done really well. Even small things like changing the penalty taker for the retaking the penalty, the way that he caveated it by saying, I'm fully confident Jordan would have probably scored the second one. However, I don't want him thinking about missing the first one in order to take the second one. It's nothing to do with him. Put a new, put a new penalty taker on it. Something really, really small. It's not exactly rocket science, but shows that he thinks, you know, and he also just strikes me as just a really warm guy in terms of football management. And obviously, I, you know, Arsenal have been on the end of some Palace results. It's never nice, obviously, to lose at home. And I understand, obviously, for Manchester United fans, this is, this is a really, really bad result so early on in the season. Palace deserve immense credit and I want them, I want their supporters, those who are listening to just hear that, that, that that's where this comes from. It's, it's complete respect for the job they did. But before we go further, just one thing that occurred to me about the England manager job, it occurred to me that actually it's a very English institution. It's rather like, the, you know, we're discussing this with the James Bond role. The England manager job is like the James mm. Bond role. There's very little upside to taking that job. It doesn't mark you that well for your next, like if you play James Bond, it doesn't mark you that well for what you play next. It's kind yeah. of such a standalone and it's far, far easier to get wrong than it is to get right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah just definitely. That, that, that particular role and job is so tied up with English identity and we should express ourselves, but we shouldn't. We should win, but in the right style because if we don't win, it's just so fiendishly, you know, the, for example, like Gareth Southgate, what job does he do next? Because the England job doesn't necessarily market you for a huge job at a club. If I was Gareth Southgate, I, the first thing I would do is go abroad. Oh, yes. Yeah. Get the hell out of England straight after the England job. Go and coach somewhere else. You know? On that note, actually, we said this before, but um, I absolutely love and adore the fact, I think Grace on Football mentioned this as well. Shout out to Grace again, who did a great newsletter on Tiago. Yeah. Um, I think it was Grace was saying one of the best is about these young and just talents in Germany is that the media doesn't really get their claws into them. Nope. And it's just an absolute joy. It feels like, you know, being here in Germany, I feel like a kind of like quietly proud uncle. Quickly before we move on from United, what do you think of the penalty? As in, was it one? Because uh, there was also one in the Spurs game, which I didn't think was a penalty. Yeah, I think it was. I've got no real. I think this one was more of a penalty than people were letting on. Actually, there was like so many people were really, really angry about the Man United penalty, but I thought it was more of a penalty than the Doherty one in Southampton Spurs. <laughs> were we just angry it was given against us? Were we just angry? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a problem at play here. Like Arsenal, I think, got away with one against West Ham, which is quite a nice segue. Gabriel kind of lent into the ball, and I think that should have definitely been a penalty, actually. That was probably the most blatant of the ones over the weekend and it didn't get given even though I think it went to VAR mm. which is super strange but um, anything more you want to say on Man United Palace? No it's going to be a long season for United I think they were a little bit unlucky as well I think that game could have played out very differently It could have The De Gea save yeah it's the rule but it's still super unlucky and the Hatton ball itself I think was pretty unlucky I mean for me it's not so much the, the loss it's the manner of the defeat and this is something that Rich um, at the Red Voices podcast, which is excellent, and um, Nick uh, at May United Newth on Twitter both pointed out about Scott McTominay that he's just really not someone with a positional sense to be a DM. And United don't really have that player. They don't have, Fred doesn't do it. 
well, Matic is some of Matic is getting a bit older. Like you've got, you've only really got one established defence midfielder in that squad. Yeah, uh, which just makes it wild to me that, some, that United aren't going massively after someone like Thomas Partey, if, yeah, who seems yeah. to be available to the point where Arsenal are still apparently negotiating, sending Lucas Torreira there on loan. To I mean, I, I felt for Donny van der Beek afterwards giving his post-match interview and you're just like looking at him going, dude, when you realise what you've stepped into, I mean, obviously it's a dream move for him and he'll have a great time. You know, that he's got like a long contract and I think they'll sort out these problems over time. But I, I wonder if he's just already starting to realise We've got the Alexis oh, Sanchez thing. <laughs> this squad is a bit imbalanced, yeah. It's like we said last season, when it's clicking, that starting 11 is really handy. Yep. The problem is the drop-off. But also, I would say that I think this season is going to throw up some really weird results. Yeah. And we're dealing with a hell of a lot of variables that f- football hasn't had to deal with. It's going to throw up some really weird shit. Yeah. I actually don't think losing 3-1 to Palace at home is super weird. It's it will, little, football will throw up some weird it's, shit. It's a little bit weird. If we're being I honest. Mean, Man City did it. So. Mm, it's a no, little bit weird. That I mean, was, yeah, and that was weird. That was, was very it? weird. Yes. <laughs> Ryan, because then they do it again. Ryan, it was really weird. It was really weird. <laughs> I think you're really weird. Anyway, uh, you know what wow, was really, you know wow, what was really, you know what wow, was even weirder? Wow. You know what was even weirder? That Arsenal managed to get three points on Saturday. So I want to praise West Ham because I think West Ham set up really, really well and have looked at how Arsenal have played under Arteta, especially on their statement wins, and thought, not today. Right. They did not take the bait at all. They dropped in deep. They stayed compact. They were like, you're not pulling us 30, 40 yards away from our goal so you can hit us with one of those goals. We're going to stay here and you're going to have to break us down. And actually, this was really reminiscent to those old latter era Wenger sides, late era Wenger sides, Monday night at home against Swansea, concede to an own goal. Swansea have had no shots on target and Arsenal are just camped in their half, just playing really, really stale, possessive football. But Arsenal still walked the ball into the net. Exactly. And this is where I think that Arteta deserves a hell of a lot of credit. They highlighted a flaw in the West Ham setup. And it was basically like, Let's do Star Wars. It's the it's the soft center, right? Yeah, right. You know, it's like if you get to it, you can do it, but it's yeah. going to take a hell of a lot to get there. And they just kept hammering away at it. No pun intended. Eventually, the goal came, and I think it was really smart from Arsenal. You highlight a flaw, you keep probing, and eventually it will pay off. And I actually think that both teams came out of this game, yes, with a lot of credit. Yes. weirdly, you know, Arsenal can't play that game. They're not going to score that Arsenal goal every single game because teams are going to figure it out. And I'm really interested to see what happens against Liverpool because Liverpool have already been on the end of that twice. Do you know what's funny though? We're in an era where we have centre forwards who do what I love. Lewandowski and Aubameyang are people that can play as traditional nines, but they're also incredibly good at getting the hell out of the way. Mm. I love this about them. I love this. Both of them this weekend created goals from wide positions by drawing away. And I love this. Aubameyang and Lacazette, the one thing you can do against a deep line defense, a deep line and compact defense is to pull wide and become a winger. And Aubameyang did that. I mm. love that they have that option. And there was, there was something about the way that Arteta celebrated at the end of this game. Yeah, he it, knew wasn't, it, was it wasn't just that they'd won. It was that he'd outthought, well, not, not outthought, but he'd, um, I don't think he'd outthought Moyes because he, I think the level of coaching was, they were both coaching at a very high level. What I love was the way that he celebrated was almost like you could see, you know, we won this being true to ourselves, 
Mm. We won this playing Arsenal. And Ketia's goal was they dismantled one of the most compact teams they'll face. Shout out to Mihal Antonio as well, who's basically continuing his hot streak. He's been on mm. a real hot streak for the last few sort of weeks or months given the COVID thing. So yeah, it's like um, encouraging for West Ham, whose creativity I think will come when they get players back from injury. But Arsenal just looking again, you know what it is? We always say this, when, when you watch a great team win football tournaments, like Germany in 2014 World Cup, what I love about that Germany team most of all was they kept finding answers. They kept solving problems. And the thing that I really like about Arteta with this Arsenal, and I liked his love with that Germany, was that he just kept, throw him a challenge. Oh, I'll adjust. Throw him this. I'll adjust. Love it. He continues to impress Mikel Arteta. And I think that he knows how important it is to win those kind of games. But like I say, I think West Ham were really impressive. Yes. And probably deserved more from the game. So much better than they were on the opening day against Newcastle, who kind of had a reverse of fortunes, if you like, losing 3-0 to Brighton and deservedly so. And right. they were not good. No. Brighton, brilliant, I thought. Yeah. And who else were brilliant on the weekend? Everton. Oh, actually, before we get into uh, Everton, just a second. Shout out to Tariq Lamptey. Yes. Who was wonderful. And who also gave the most adorable post-match interview. I know. His face. My my God. Oh my gosh. He has the sweetest face in the Premier League, I think. What a lovely man. What a nice boy. What a nice boy. He's just great, man. I'm so glad he's getting so much love because he's genuinely amazing. He's so nice about Graham Potter. This is the, you know, I I love, I love hearing. I mean, the Potter thing was so interesting because when Potter got the job at Brighton, there was criticism, but some were like, look, Hewton took this as far as he could. And I'm actually a big fan of that kind of appointment. I think it's really brave. And I'm someone that loves Chris Hewton. But I think, yeah, it's really brave to do a thing like that. Mm. And just the, the enthusiasm which he talks about him and Brighton just being a place where you can go and play your football and be compelling. And, and they've been like that for a while, they Brighton. They've had some really eye-catching results the last few years, under Hewton, to be fair, and also under Potter. So I'm just really delighted for them. And to go to a place like Newcastle and get a result there is just, it's a joy to see that. Yeah, they fully deserved it as well. Before we cover the final game from the Premier League, because we've been going on Premier League, so much of it at the moment though. There's lots of goals. It's just like... Leeds, Fulham, oh my goodness. Yeah, Leeds, Fulham, 4-3. I mean, we're going to talk about Leeds a hell of a lot this season. This just strikes me as a very Leeds result. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 4-3, so, you know. Two 4-3s in the first two games of the season. Let's quickly talk about Everton because Everton are catfish no more. <laughs> no, listen, they are catfish no more. Listen, this is the thing. Someone made a good point. Um, just before we go to Everton on, in this result, uh, Dean Garner's sale to West Brom was something that Mark Noble was really upset about at West Ham. And you look at the creativity West Ham lack and the quality he's brought to West Brom, you can see why he was so upset. Yep. Um, but on Everton, oh my God. Like, this is a problem now. Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison ahead of James Rodriguez is tasty. It is really tasty. I thought James Rodriguez was absolutely brilliant as well. He was magnificent. Obviously Calvert-Lewin got the hat trick, but I thought James Rodriguez is looking a lot more smiley than I've seen him for a long time. He's looking Colombia smiley. Exactly. Yeah. When he came back to Real Madrid, it was like, mm, they don't really want me. I'm not really here. Like the same with Bayern. Like he was arguably the best player in the Bundesliga at points during his Bayern reign. And then all of a sudden wasn't really fancied and then went back to Real Madrid, wasn't really fancied, wasn't starting games, just felt a little bit like every, every touch was super important. I think the thing that's so brilliant about 
this move now is it just kind of looks like he belongs. He looks well, like they gave the, him the keys this, to the Porsche. But something about this just feels right. But the, what's so amazing about it is they're both players that they're both people that really have nothing to prove. Actually, yeah. Hamas has nothing to prove. He got unlucky at Madrid, I think, because you know Zidane is obviously a fantastic coach. He also has a thing where if he doesn't fancy you, you're done. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting if you look at the the use of um, Zidane's use of Lucas Vasquez as opposed to Hamas. The amount of times where Zidane brought Vasquez in instead of Hamas, he was like almost like. Lucas Vasquez was his kind of Pedro, as in, you'll have a very specific attack and defensive role. You're going to do that. I don't want anything else from you. And Hamas, someone who would go on, maybe not give you the kind of creative, the defensive shape you'd want. Mm. And so basically he was, Zidane was basically like, we've got creators for that centrally. We mm. don't want you in here. Um, so seeing Hamas in this sort of lease of life, in control of the midfield, and the great thing about Hamez is he's an alpha as a creator, right? Mm. He's an alpha. And, he, and it, so it allows Andre Gomez to kind of take a secondary role yeah. and be comfortable and play and do his thing. Um, you've got a nice midfield blend there. I mean, it's slightly soft center, you might say in some cases, but they're not the only midfield that will have that problem. Um, and I actually weirdly think there was a lot of talk about uh, Everton being defensively weak, but I think that a lot of that is down to what Yeri Mina did. I think Yeri Mina allowed clear runs on goal and is maybe not, it's funny as well, another Colombian in the side, um, maybe he could be a bit sharper. Um, mm. But I think that Everton now, the beauty is that it's full of goals. They were so much fun against West Brom. And I remember thinking, it was really nice. I remember thinking, gosh, you know what's really nice? I'm loving watching this team. I'm mm. really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying the freedom with which the front four are playing. Mm. I'm so happy for Calvert-Lewin because he was a player that for so long had everything was just technically, I mean, Seb Safa-Bloor said it, a player who is just so industrious, so technical, so good at linking, but just never quite, you never quite feel the goals will come. I think it was Seb Safa-Bloor that said that. And now they're flowing. Yeah, Ancelotti um, unlocked him. He did. Said, I mean, he, he really his did. form under, his early form under Ancelotti was amazing. Didn't he score like three in two games or something like that, or four in three or something? Do you know, he's, he's scoring, scoring a rate only behind, only just behind like, like Salah and Vardy, like it's in that bracket mm. of like, yeah, it's extraordinary. He's like a more rapid Olivier Giroud. I Giroud, I knew, I knew, I love that you said that. I love it's exactly, yeah. Like a leaner, more rapid Giroud because he kind of weirdly sometimes when he finishes reminds me of Giroud. He kind of like gets his body in an awkward shape. You know, he looks like, it looks like he's trying to, um, do you know, you throw a fire blanket over like a fire, <laughs> like we're putting out I mean, a barbecue. Like okay. he throws himself, yeah, he throws himself. Well, he smothers when he, when he does a tapping, like he smothers it almost like he's like, yeah. I have to make sure that this ball's, I'm basically going to throw as much of my body this ball as I can to make sure it goes in. Like he's, he's a real pragmatist when it comes to finishing from, from but what I love about this, it's a lack of complacency. You know, there's a, there's a goal I really love that he scored. I think it was the second one he got. Richarlis and Clips across goal, it's going in, but he makes sure. And I was like, I love that. Evan mm. looking good, man. Yeah, really good. Also, shout out to like Lucas Dean as well, because we talked about combinations before between Fabinho and Thiago. There's a lovely combination there between Dean and Rodriguez and James. Like when you've got that player that you love looking for, it's really nice to see combinations. And maybe that's a theme we'll have over the kind of the course of this podcast. And actually, listeners, if you don't mind, if there's any really cool combinations between players that you see, like, you know, like Messi, Alves, that you think that are really exciting. Obviously, you know, at me, I know that people send me abuse on Twitter, but I'd love to get like some nice combinations as well. Oh, stop it. 
Listen, you got to face listen, the crowd. Listen. Don't, don't. He's get, he's got, <laughs> I have to deal with a big enough ego. <laughs> make it worse. One thing I want to shout out before we move on from this game, take another break, is um, Slavin Bilic turning up like he was going to murk Mike Dean and then getting murked in the process. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tweeted this about Billich. Turned up dressed like he was going to whack Mike Dean. <laughs> and then Mike Dean just came with some big like, do you have any idea who you're fucking with? Yeah, Energy. true, Mike Dean. Sent him off at half time. <laughs> Amazing. Let's take another break. We're going long today, eh? We are. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back from the break. Final part of the show on this. this is, we're going long today. We are. So much Premier League. There is so much. Let's go to the Bundesliga return this weekend. Started with Bayern's demolition of Schalke 8-0 on Friday night, which was expected and unexpected at the same time, I think. Schalke looked really good for three minutes. Harrowing as an introduction. You've just lost your best player, McKenny, to Juventus. What? One of, yeah. So poor Schalke, like, in both senses. The worst possible introduction. Because Bayern were looking for blood. There's a moment when Bayern were 3-0 up and they missed the chance to go 4-0 and Hansi Flick looked almost through his water bottle. Mm. And I thought, whoa, this man's intense. <laughs> like, they made a statement with this. And Leroy Sané looked terrifying in all senses not just with his speed and his link play, but his unselfishness and showed no mercy against his former team. There was no, you know, like he did not go easy on the, uh, on the, on the jet boosters against was three, Was there three ex-Schalke players in that fine? Sané, Goretzka, Neuer. Was th- yeah, great shout. Yeah. This is the thing. It was eight nil, but it was, it wasn't just Schalke. Like they would have done, they would have done this to a lot of teams. Well, I, I'm kind of, I've, I disagree a little bit because I think that first game of the season, buying away, one of the few Bundesliga games to be played without fans because yeah. of, like we said, the spike in COVID cases in yeah. Munich, well, in Bavaria. And I worry a bit about Schalke this season. Well, I worry a lot, actually. I was kind of, I tweeted during the game that I think it's going to be a very, very long season for Schalke. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me at some point if Mr. Hub Stevens is getting a call because I could really see them being in a similar position that they were under Domenico Tedesco and struggling to stay up. They've, they are the worst team in the Bundesliga in 2020, Schalke, in terms of points per game and, and form. They've not been playing well since the winter break. They looked really out of sorts in the back half of last season. Like you said, they've lost a key player in Western McKenney. Also, the players who've come up look good. The teams who've come up look good. Yeah, I mean, Bielefeld got a point away at Eintracht, which I think is a really great point for them to, to open the season. And this is what I kind of mean in terms of first day of the season. I think that Bielefeld showed how to go away to a club vastly superior to you on the opening day of the season and just make sure you don't completely send your season off a cliff on the opening day, which yeah. I think Schalke have done here. Yeah. And yes, Bayern, we, we'll come on to Bayern a little bit more in a minute because I, I do want to talk about them, but 
I really fear for Schalke. The club is going through a massive transition in terms of philosophy and process. And, you know, they've, they've cut a lot of costs. But still, going at Bayern early on in those opening few minutes, if it had resulted in a goal, perfect. But as soon as that didn't happen, there seemed to be a lack of awareness that actually, okay, this is quite dangerous now. And we need to make sure that we don't get hammered. Now, they walk out of that with a 3 0. You'd say, well, it's buying away. We've got it out of the way. It's 3 0. But eight. Eight. And it looked kind of routine. That was the worrying thing for Bayern. I think Lewandowski was quite wasteful in front of goal, actually. Yeah. Actually, he's been a little, he's been slightly wasteful for the last few weeks, actually, under the race. No, no, well, no I just, but slightly beneath his intense level of. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that, you know, he's, I think he's, he was like the top conversion rate in the Bundesliga, I think, last season for players over 10 goals. I think like just in the Champions League, he looked a bit, he was, you know, it was the Champions League, just like the slight, not he wasn't poor, but it was the, you know, the slight rustiness of just being, yeah, of the layoff. Yeah, that's yeah I mean, it it's, it's again, I think just something that we're going to have to get used to this season. I just think that the norms have gone out the window. That yeah. Pr- it's just, you, you're in completely uncharted territory in terms of football, in terms of preparation, in terms of the amount of games that are happening. Like things are going to be really warped. Maybe you could say that this is an example of that, but still moving on to Bayern and the addition of Leroy Sané with Serge Gnabry Robert Lewandowski, I don't think, has shown any signs of cooling off or even age. I think he's actually getting better. The really terrifying thing about Bayern is that the sheer amount of range in terms of their skill set, but also in terms of the amount of the pitch that they will cover from Gnabry and Sané, there's a legitimate argument to be made there that if those two stay fully fit and are the mainstays of that Bayern starting eleven, you could extend Lewandowski again for another couple of seasons. I think, it could, I think they could be that transformative. You could extend Lewandowski's career at Bayern for an extra couple of years because just the amount of ground in support, with the support of Thomas Muller as well, I thought they looked unbelievable. The ability to pull wide and then all of a sudden to go super central. Like there was a couple of times where Sané, like for Sané's goal, for example, he broke through the middle. A couple of other times uh, for the, I think it was a Gnabry's hat-trick goal, where it was Sané breaking through the middle yeah, and they've replaced Robin and Ribery in terms of number, taking the seven and the ten shirts. But what Bayern have really done already, what two seasons after they've both moved on, they've recaptured the potential and the ability of peak Robin and Ribery, but made them way younger. And they could go for like they could be there. For, that could be you know just a Robin and Ribery. They could be there for like six, seven seasons together. Yeah, this is their Robin and Ribery of the twenty yeah. twenties. Scary. Without a doubt. Scary. And in my opinion, actually has the potential to be even more devastating than those more two. More variety. Ones. More variety. But um, yeah, Bayern just look absolutely devastating. And a game topped off by Jamal Musiala, who in June, I think he became the youngest ever player to play a match for Bayern in the Bundesliga. Aged just 17 years and 115 days. Obviously he moved from Chelsea in was it just over a year ago now. And right, is he now the youngest scorer as well? And he became Bayern's youngest goal scorer. 17 that years and 205 days. Un- do you know, who's, do you know who, the, who had the last record? I don't know. Aged 18 years and 12 days. It's an obvious one, isn't it? It's obvious. Roque Santa Cruz. Oh my God. When Santa Cruz was at Bayern, I loved him. He didn't actually play that much, but, but per minute, and like with his finishing efficiency was absolutely out of this world. 
I thought Santa Cruz was, I thought he was going to be a Lewandowski, to be honest. There was a period on Football Manager where Roque Santa Cruz was always available for a really, really reasonable fee and would just demolish any right. league that you signed him on, on Football Manager. It was like, it was one of those quirks in Football Manager that it's like, as soon as you start a new game, you go after Roque Santa Cruz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, Jamal Musiala, another example of a, well, I mean, he was born in Stuttgart. His father is Nigerian and his mother is German, but he moved to, they moved to England where he, where he grew up, basically. He has a really strange like international career. England under 15, 16s, played also two games for Germany under 16s and then went back to play for England under 17s. England want to be snapping him up quick. I mean, yeah, because... Especially that, now with yeah. FIFA changing the rules that you can play, what is it, two or three competitive fixtures for an international side before switching allegiance? Oh, right. So you can, like, you can taste some tapas before you uh, mm-hmm. choose your main. Yeah, they want to get on that. They need to get on that. Um, that <laughs> wow. Um, so Bayern are <laughs> top of the Bundesliga. Second in the table are Hertha BSC, who beat Werder Bremen 4-1 in Bremen. Bruno Labbadia continuing the good job that he started last season when he took over from Jürgen Klinsmann. And are we going to get Champions League football in Berlin, Musa? <laughs> Do you know what? I really like this Hertha team. I do. I really I love do. it. I love it. I mean, do you know what I love about it? The range of players in the attack. I love little tweaks like using Nicholas Stark as a defence midfielder. Toussaint um, is now playing as a the 10, really. That's one I'm really hyped about watching yeah. Lucas Toussaint because he obviously signed in January and didn't play for the rest of last season. And I just think that I mean, we've said this a million times before on this podcast, but Hertha showed signs last season of progress. You said this, you said this, people sniffed at it, but you said this. Yeah, a bit concerned about Werder. Shout out to Hertha though, they've done really well. Freiburg beat Stuttgart 3-2 in Stuttgart. Cologne lost at home to Hoffenheim. And then the Sunday games, Leipzig beat Mainz. No Werner, no problem for Leipzig against Mainz. I think think Mainz might have thought they had a chance about this. And they were doing okay, actually. They weren't too bad at points. (laughs) And Wolfsburg, Leverkusen was nil-nil, which probably not a bad You'd point expect- for each. Actually, before I forget, um, and just shout out to Hoffenheim, Andre Kamaric, seven goals in two Bundesliga games. Good lad. He's got four against Dortmund and now he's got Ex- three Leicester's finest. Right. Yes. Let's talk about Dortmund Gladbach, probably yes. the most high profile fixture of the weekend, the Borussia derby. Surprisingly routine for Dortmund, I felt. Yeah, it was surprising, wasn't it? And they have a habit of kind of making games like this quite difficult for themselves they really didn't when Torgan Hazard went off after what nearly 20 minutes and they brought on Felix Paslak which I thought was quite an interesting introduction it, was great, it, it worked it really worked I thought he brought so much intensity yeah and um, I thought Dortmund looked really good a really interesting tactical shift for English born starters which is amazing. They I mean, have, yeah. Interestingly, Dortmund only started the game with one German. No, two Germans. Sorry. Mats Hummels and Emre Chan. Not Jadon Sancho as well. I mean, he's basically German now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Jude Bellingham, Jadon Sancho, Gio Reyna, Erling Haaland, all English born. 20 and under. I mean, I think, unbelievable. I, I think the average age of Dortmund's goal and assist makers was 18 and a half on the weekend. Obviously, Reina scored the first. It was assisted by Jude Bellingham, who started. Yep. Really nice assist too. Yeah, yeah. Round the corner. Holland got the penalty. 
and then Haaland got the third assisted by Sancho, which was a lovely goal. And it was another one of those memed Haaland bombing it through the middle. Yeah. But Dortmund was super impressive. I was a little bit, un- well, I was massively underworld by Gladbach. I mean, they were missing Marcus Turam and uh, Alessandro player to start because neither were fit yet. Right. They came on and did make a difference. I thought Gladbach could have had a penalty, but I actually thought the Dortmund penalty was definitely a penalty. Yeah. Um, they just kept replaying the angle, the completely wrong angle on the VAR thing, which just made it look less and less by, like a penalty. But really good win for Dortmund. Clean sheet as well. Augsburg away next. They're kind of in a category by themselves, Dortmund, really. Like, uh, there's this thing like, they're, you know, Bayern, there is a bit of distance between Bayern and Dortmund. But then between Dortmund and the rest, there is that, I mean, Gladbach, you know, they underwhelming lack of fitness, all the rest of it. But just the, the adventurous nature of the selection, like I'm not sure if Brent was injured, you know, he was on the bench. But the fact that basically Bellingham was given kind of Brandt's creative brief in a sense. You know, in they a took, game like that to start. Yeah, well, they sacrificed, because when you have Brandt in the midfield too, obviously you sacrifice the kind of ballast of Chan. Chan was really good. Chan was really good as a centre-back. Mm. Um, you sacrifice that to an extent and then you have the creativity. You basically go, well, we sacrifice a bit of defensive heft for progressive play. Bellingham must have been blowing them away in training. He's really impressed. He must have been. And, and his use of the ball in tight spaces, his combination and his availability for the ball. This is a Ricky Pooch thing, which we might get into a second. Ricky Pooch is showing for the ball. Yep. Always wants to receive possession. Um, Bellingham creating chances and just... It's wild, actually. This is the thing about the sort of, um, how do I say this, Ryan? The uh, Anglo-centric press that we have in the UK in relation to football. Jude Bellingham should have been the headline. Yep. Should have been the headline. You know, in, in, in a sporting press that really was paying attention to what was happening in English football and world football, Jude Bellingham should have been the front of the back pages. Well, I mean, he's already become Dortmund's, he became Dortmund's youngest goalscorer in history in the cup game last week. So if you think in the space of a week, two players who have left English sides to come to the Bundesliga at super young ages have both become the youngest goal scorers for Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund within the space of days. That is wild. And I think that it's a sign to the Premier League clubs that Jude Bellingham leaves a championship side, not even a Premier League side, goes to the Bundesliga, gets a start on the first league game of the season at home to a side that qualified for the Champions League last season. And he played really well. Actually, I, 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 I said during the game that you, you would have loved it because Bellingham, Sancho yeah. and Reina were essentially all playing as number eights. I was loving it. I was absolutely... Because Reina and Sancho were coming really deep and, I, and really yeah. central. And, I, and do you know what? I just love that three as a midfield trio, you know, with like held together by a pivot like Witzel. I love it when Sancho drops deep as well. I think that's some of his best work. Mm. When Sancho drops deep, there was a bit when they were playing in the Champions League um, last season where he broke, pulled out to the right and then cut to the inside right position and just held it. Mm. Like it was a really fast break and he could have surged into the box, but he didn't. He held the play top of the box and just waited for the attack to catch up so he could build something. And it was like one of the most impressive pieces of like patient playmaking I think he's an amazing player in that configuration. I love what he does there. And he doesn't get enough credit for the inside stuff. He doesn't. No, I agree. <sighs> Super early days, one game. 
Dortmund basically have to make sure that they just get rid of the masochism that's been there over the last couple of years at points. Yeah. And if yeah. and they have to keep themselves in with a shout. Yes. I that's agree. all they need to do this season, I think. I agree. It's probably going to be Lucien Favre's last season at Dortmund. They have to just make sure that they are still close to Bayern. If they can make sure that they're within one good result or two good results from being top, they have to do that this season. Okay, let's leave the Bundesliga for now. Let's move to quickly, let's go to Juventus Samp because we talked about Weston McKennie earlier. He started for Juve. Mm. Pirlo's first Serie A game in charge and he picks a midfield three of Adrian Rabio, Aaron Ramsey and Weston McKennie. If you were one of those three guys and you get picked in Andrea Pirlo's first league game at home to Samp, who were no slouches, right, right. got themselves out of trouble towards well. the back end of the season. Yeah, yeah. And Ranieri, I think, has done a pretty decent job there. How buzzing must you feel, especially because Aaron Ramsey and Adrian Rabio were players that, you know, they had underwhelming first seasons at, at Juve and a lot of people thought that one or both of them might have to move in order to find regular football. Pirlo, the maestro, comes in and it's just like, you're my three. I mean... It's amazing, but it's all action. It's, what's amazing is they're like, they're like a revolving triangle, like where any one of them could take the point at any time. Anyone could drop at any time. They're just like a revolving... I mean, actually, weirdly enough, my obsession with that particular number of midfield, but they, they can all play the same role. They're interchangeable in a really exciting, interesting way, I think. The balance that they had, it tended to be Rabio and McKenney were like a deeper two for yeah. most of the game. And, and especially in attacking transitions, like Ramsey was the furthest forward playing a little bit more advanced. I thought it was one but they of can, his... But they, can, but they can all do it though. That's the yeah, thing. They can, yeah, they can. Yeah. All put, yeah. I mean, we've seen Rabio break at that amazing goal he yeah. scored last season where he can break. I thought Weston McKenney, considering it was his debut, I thought was really impressive. I think he moved the ball really well. He got stuck in really well. Um, he took won advanced the, won, positions. Won as the well. ball back for the goal. Yeah. And positionally, I thought he was really impressive. Now, he seemed a little bit nervous in the opening 20 minutes or so, but I think he really grew into the game. And I think, he, you know, bar for a centimetre VAR, he could have had a debut goal as well. Yep, yep. I also thought it was one of Aaron Ramsey's best games in a Juventus shirt that I've seen. He linked the play with such confidence. He was really impressive. And yeah. There will be sterner tests than Sampdoria at home this season, but that's, that's not a freebie to open this. To yeah, start. that's how that's not that's a freebie how a top to start the season. It's like Arsenal beating Fulham. That's how a top team deal beats. With it. Deal that's with how a top West, team yeah. beats a team that's been struggling. Nicky Bandini made a really good point about how one 0 it was kind of in the balance a little bit, and actually Samp had chances. But I think overall Juve were pretty good value for that three 0 and could have had a couple more. Thought you, Ronaldo was quite wasteful in front of goal. Got yeah. his goal eventually. Kulisevsky as well. Well, shout out to Atalanta, like, because to get a 35 million euro, you know, that's a great piece of business for them. For a guy that was on loan at Parma, mm. and some might say, well, they could have hung on, but no, 35 million euro for Kulisevsky. It's gone to Juve. And of course, like, they're not direct economic competitors. It's one of those ones where everyone's a winner. He got a beautiful opening goal. Yeah, actually. he did. Really, really lovely finish. Actually quite, I think Paolo Dybala would be quite, quite fun of that mm. as a finish. Um, it's a very Dybala type finish. Yeah. Um, casual, pass it through a group of players. And just Juve doing that thing of strengthening in really interesting areas and ways. And Kulisevsky's in that tradition, but offered himself really well in and around the box. Obviously has a great finishing touch. A really good additional piece for them. So yeah, that was fun to watch. Mm. And Pirlo, um, 
you know, really impressive to see, you know, it's his first game and it's Sampdoria, but still a sense that he has his ideas. And to in- I'm always really impressed when a manager comes in and integrates new pieces and the pieces Straight just away. fit. And the yeah. pieces just fit. Like he looked around and he was like, that works, that works, that works, right, I'll take that. This was an encouraging outing for him. Like it looked like someone who already has a particular idea mm. of how he wants to play and how he wants things to work. So yeah, thumbs up to him. Obviously they've got Delict to come back in. They've got injuries to return. They've got Dybala still there. They've got potentially Edin Dzeko arriving from Roma. Big pieces. Yeah, yeah. All things considered, that opening game, plenty of positives to take away. Long way to go. Yeah. Um, let's quickly go to Spain before we get out of here because this has been super long today. Real Sociedad nil, Real Madrid nil. Martin Odegaard back at his old Real. Yeah, and Real didn't have that much creativity on the bench because of injuries. I suppose the most, most interesting thing here was how quickly Odegaard seemed to have found an understanding with Modric in particular. I mean, their understanding is going to be vital. They've, you know, rather like Hammers, they've given him the keys to the push. There was a couple of points where it looked like they were getting in each other's way a little bit though. Because they were both playing very high ahead of Tony Kroos. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't entirely... That, 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 Change that, second that, half, that was, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Change second half. Um, yeah, they found, they found an understanding, I think. Kroos was really deep. I mean, he was kind of almost like Thiago deep, like almost like sort of centre-back, stretching it out. And Sociedad stayed solid. David Silva... The one disappointment was they brought on David Silva for Alexander Isaac. And I would have thought, I mean, Isaac mm-hmm. had a beautiful chance... We're not so much in bad misses and that's standing safe by Courtois. I just feel like Silver Isaac is going to be a great link-up. And it was a shame when I saw that substitution, I was a bit kind of like, I don't know, disappointed and also surprised. It was like, it seems like it's a natural, it's natural to have those two playing because Isaac's movement was really good and he didn't have much to feed on. And I felt like with this, seeing him play, I was like, it was so weird me just going, oh my God, Isaac at Dortmund would just be lapping this up because the one thing that guy needs is, is chance creation. He's a unique forward at his age group mm. and his age bracket. And I just worry that at Sociedad, he won't get the service mm. that his talent not only deserves, but needs at this point of his development. I mean, what about David Silva though? Well, you're going to get the service of David Silva. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I just want, I want them to just play regular and not sub in for each other. Um, elsewhere in La Liga, just quick, Cadiz got their first win, beating Huesca away. Betis beating Valladolid. Elsewhere, Barcelona's still not back yet. Celta uh, beat Valencia. I'm worried about Valencia this season, dude. Really, really worried. Yep, yep. Um, let's quickly talk about Barcelona again before we get out of here because it's going to make me in a bad mood. I did a bit of yeah. a Twitter rant about this. Apparently, Ricky Pooch. Turns out that in hindsight, the, the quotes weren't as fiery as they were made out to be. But essentially, Ronald Koeman saying that Ricky Pooch doesn't fit into his system, which if he is actually going to properly play his system is probably true. Although that raises another issue that I have with Ronald Koeman and Barcelona. And has been told that he can leave the club, apparently. Or find another club, whether it's on loan. On loan, yeah. 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 I think this is very symptomatic of what is going on at Barcelona at the moment. That they would allow one of their best young talents, who is super hungry to progress, to leave the club instead of trying to integrate them. Although weirdly enough, when I first thought he'd be sold, I was nervous. But now I'm like a really good loan for Ricky Pooch this year. Staying away from that wild behaviour at Barca, I think is actually perfect. Yeah, maybe you're so right. I, so I'd, loved, I'd love to see him somewhere where he gets regular starts, great football, go abroad for a bit. Funny enough, actually, any one of those, almost any one of those young players 
at this point. Just, I mean, I think Ansu Fati and Frankie de Jong are kind of, they're strange because they're young players who also, who already feel senior, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, Frankie de Jong is way senior compared to yeah. Ansu Fati. Ansu feels, he's so funny, he's like, the kid can take care of himself. Like he feels mm. already, I mean, the fact that he's like, you know, scoring for Spain, my guy's okay. But yeah, so it, again, it's a symptomatic of Kuman coming in and just trying to be this sort of, you know, hard ass. And it's tired. Do you know what it is? It's really, Ryan. Put some socks on, fam. It's exactly, it's a, you know what it is? It's just really tired. Actually, we had an email from someone about this. One second. I'm just going to read it out. Dustin Estrada said, if Kuman has one thing, it's audacity. Hi, Dustin from California here, and I'm a despondent Barcelona fan. First, it was his treatment of Messi in their reported meeting. Then it's his choice of sideline attire. And now he has told the second brightest talent of La Masia that he is not a part of his plans. It's almost impressive how quickly Ronald Koeman is ruining his goodwill with Barcelona fans around the globe. Knowing that this may be the hottest seat in world football at the moment and that he may only be allowed one season in charge, he seems to only be concerned with leaving an impact on the team, whether that be positive or negative. I think he's here to make a splash and that's right. You know what he is? He's like a referee that can't resist making a big decision. Mm. That's how he feels. I was Kuman and I managed here. It's very Ozymandias. You know, look upon my selections, ye mighty, and despair. It's like, no man, just come in and manage it. I just think you've got to let them play. You don't come into this Barcelona side and try and implement a system on them. No way. It's like ready, steady, cook. What are the ingredients? Cook something with it. He's trying to implement a personality, not a style. You knew the drill when you arrived. Whatever happens here, you are not coming out of this with a reputation, some kind of like golden era pep level football thinker. It's just not going to happen. I've got a funny feeling it could be a hell of a lot worse than even we thought it would be. I think you're, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think un- unfortunately, I'd want to be wrong, but the signs aren't good. Mm. None of the talk I've heard, it's the thing, nothing comes out of certain clubs, right? Nothing comes out of certain dressing rooms and everything is coming out of Barca. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, the club is leaking like a grapefruit. It is just not the one. Ah, okay then. Well, we should probably uh, adjourn. <laughs> <laughs> that is a major session. All right, don't forget, we'll be back with a bonus episode on Tuesday. And we hope you're staying safe and well. Yeah. Hope you're enjoying all of the football being back. Absolutely. Hope you're avoiding dry throats. By hydrating. As he, he says, as he swigs a bottle. <laughs> Don't forget, if you want to check the Stadio Outros playlist, search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. You'll find it there along with all of our other playlists. If you want to buy our th- theme music, it's for sale. We're donating all the money. Go to stadio.bandcamp.com. Other admin, send conspiracy theory abuse to at Okwonga. <laughs> number eight, eight Anon, eight G. <laughs> send anything nice to at Ryan Hunt. Or yep, you can send anything you want to at Stadio on Twitter. Stadio Football is our Instagram. Stadio.Football is our website. But make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Moose, anything else before we go? No, I just think everyone just happy and healthy. Yeah. Happy, healthy, hydrated. Lovely. Triple H. <laughs> Triple H. <laughs> We're playing out this week on Jessica by Nonobstant. And we will be back with a bonus episode and then we will also see you Thursday. See ya.